Road to Cinema's final draft screenwriting software contest continues. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions. All three ways enter you into the contest. We'll be announcing our first winner at the end of March, so stay tuned and see if you can win a free voucher to purchase Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by our friends at Final Draft. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring Oscar-nominated screenwriter and director Thomas McCarthy. We'll be discussing Thomas McCarthy's new film, The Cobbler. The Cobbler tells the story of Max Simpkin, played by Adam Sandler, a lonely and disillusioned man who owns a shoe repair shop in New York City, who inadvertently stumbles upon an old machine in his shop, which allows him to literally enter into other people's shoes. The film also stars Steve Buscemi, Dustin Hoffman, Ellen Barkin, Method Man, and Melanie Diaz. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And you can follow us on Twitter for the latest updates at Jog Road or like us on Facebook. And now we join Oscar-nominated screenwriter and director Thomas McCarthy as he discusses the development of the screenplay for his new film, The Cobbler. What comes first for you, creating this character played by Adam Sandler or just the general concept of being able to walk in someone else's shoes and uh, you know, really uh, change other people's lives? Uh, in this case, it was the concept of uh, walking and stuffing up the shoes, and particularly, uh, probably, uh, first, I would say first, the, 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 that sort of notion of walking and stuffing up the shoes, and then that coupled with uh, a shoe repairman, poplars, and a sort of subtle fascination I had with him. Uh, was there something that you knew about the history of cobblers, uh, in a sense, in, in New York and in that world? Now, that quickly developed as I dove into research, but initially it was just, at the time, I lived above Poplar on 6th Avenue downtown in New York, and uh, I would go in there and, like everyone, and drop off the shoes, because that's what you do, and, and I was, I've just always been fascinated with those shops. You know, they you go in there, and there's, like, instruments and tools there that look like they've been around for hundreds of years, and these guys who are doing work that very few people know how to do, and uh, they do it quickly. Uh, and in this particular cobbler, cobbler had a, a neon uh, sign in his window that said new souls in 15 minutes, and that's just, I just found sort of funny. Um, and by the way, no one really calls him cobbler anymore, but myself and my wife constantly mock me for that. But, uh, I, I, there was something just to, to me really interesting in this. I remember I was in Boston on a different project, staffing something else, but very, my heart was very much in the cobbler, and there was a great one in, in Beacon Hill, and this great underground lair. This guy went in and literally looked medieval, and uh, I had to go in there because I, I, my shoe literally broke when I was up there. Uh, I think broke is the proper terminology, and uh, the guy fixed it in like five minutes, and I was like, man, these guys are they're so cool. Uh, so that's probably where it started. And then in research, spending time in the local side, the research of the immigrants that would have come through and what their background and where they went. And uh, we started focusing in on Max Simkin, Adam's character, uh, uh, where he would have come from, where he would have settled in the Lower East Side, what life was like then. Uh, there's a great museum on the Lower East Side called the Tenement Museum. If anyone's traveling to New York, they should check it out. It's a super cool museum about tenement life uh, at the turn of the century. And, and 
Yeah, I was curious, um, you know, compared to your other films like The Station, the station Agent, uh, The Visitor, Win-Win, which are very much kind of grounded in a solid reality, uh, I'm curious if delving into more of a fantasy type milieu, if you had to sort of think about rules for the world and, uh, you know, how Max would function in it. I mean, rules are important, right? And you have to, uh, you can make them up, but they better be consistent and you better stick to them. Otherwise, people get mad at you. And uh, even that, I knew coming into this movie, but like, through my own life, right? It wasn't, I was like, I wanted to kind of find it our way and find it organically with the character. Um, we didn't set out to make what almost becomes or evolve into a superhero story at all. We just sort of found our way there, and that process of finding it, I thought, was really interesting and organic, and felt like, wow, this is really what happens when you do discover you have special quality. You don't know it going into it, you know it when you get to the end of it, and we kind of felt that way about this and this project, and and I just found the idea uh, really interesting in a, in a lot, on a lot of levels, and, and it had a charm to it that it just stuck with me. So. You know, it was a movie I was sort of developing on the side with Paul for a number of years, and suddenly I had a, a gap in my schedule where uh, I was having a child, and another film I was working on had to push a year, and I thought, let's go do this. And uh, we called Adam, who I thought was just really rough for it, and got him involved, and, and we set to making it pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, I was curious, too, uh, having you know such a great presence like Adam Sandler, in the leading role, uh, was there any sort of tailor, uh, tailoring the character for him and, you know, changing lines and, you know, really immersing him into it as you were developing the script? Not really. I think we had a pretty solid script when we sent it to Adam. He certainly connected and responded to it. I think he trusted my vision, uh, and, and, and the writing that Paul had did up at that point. And, you know, certainly as any actor, he had some input and some feedback and we, you know, banged ideas around and dialogue around, but he was pretty on board. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes being Adam Sandler works against him, right? Because people come in with all these preconceived notions. I remember many times sitting in the edit room watching his performance, which is incredibly well calibrated and nuanced. And I thought, man, I wish people could sometimes see this without knowing it that, but so he could just disappear more because he does some really wonderful things, but, you know, he's Adam Sandler. <laughs> That said, I, I had such a great time working with him and just love what the guy did with the character. Yeah, I think he does uh, some great character work in this piece, as well as in, uh, I think, Punch Drunk Love, uh, which he yeah. also That's was funny. sort of a change of pace. Paul, today, Paul found it there today at our coffee shop. And we, were t- we were talking about Adam and how much we both loved working with him. Yeah, no, he's a he's a very underrated actor, and I think uh, you know there's a lot more there than people think. You know, I guess sometimes with comedic actors, they sort of get pigeonholed, but I think with Adam, uh, especially in this role in your film, there's this sadness that's there uh, that you can really see that's so subtle, and you know, it's just right in his eyes. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I wish more people would write about that. Cause I think it's uh, I think people pigeonhole Adam and go after him a little bit, and and the guy uh, he works really hard. And if you just have to watch him in the edit room for four to six months with a bunch of other really good actors, including Buscemi and Barkin and Hoffman and Ben Cliff and all these other Dan Stevens, and realize the guy just has a lot of craft. And he's, he's, a, he's a very, very, very uh, specific and talented film actor. And that's, that's 
Yeah, uh, I was wondering when you uh, you know get to the set, and you know this is after you've been working on the script for such a long time. When you get to the set and you see the creation of this entire universe that you've had on the page, and now it's finally concrete. Uh, do things change for you? Do things develop as you're shooting, or are you very much sort of within the script that you've written? Uh, I tend to stick to the script quite a bit just because uh, I mean, we're, uh, with, as we're doing so much working on a particular budget and, you know, it, there isn't, first of all, there's nothing more exciting than showing up on set and seeing something realized. In this case, I'm just in love with the cobbler shop, that, uh, the, the shoe repair shop that Steve Carter, my production designer, created. I just thought it was just spot on. I mean, it was like every other shoe store or shoe repair store in New York City and, um, uh, it's just really fun to walk to a place now and feel lived in already and have a sense of soul and history. And that did. So it's really exciting. But ultimately, you know, you want to stick to the story. You're there for, you're there for a purpose, and you're there to get something. And that doesn't mean that locations like that don't inspire you. And, you know, working with your cinematographer and your actors, you don't find something that's cool. That's super. That's one of the exciting parts about the work. But you always just got to keep what's the scene about why we're here and let's go get it. Yeah, uh, I'm curious too. Do you go in with a with a specific shot list as well? Uh, depending on who I'm working with, yeah, we usually have a loose. Shot. I usually work with like what I call a loose shot list that's specific. But then I'm rehearsing with the actors, so things are evolving. Uh, I know some people go in storyboard and shot list into a T, so they know exactly what they want. I'm always a little bit looser than that because I like. Uh, I like the collaboration of the day of rehearsing with actors and cinematographer and kind of finding exactly what's most right in that space. And some of these locations we really don't get in until the day we're shooting there. So it takes a moment to kind of find it. Uh, but I think if you're working with good actors with strong instincts, uh, you want to pay attention to that. And, and uh, you know, my EP on this model had a really easy way of kind of letting them find their place, and then capturing it. So uh, I'd say that's probably more the method that I usually work in. Yeah, and then uh, going into the editing process, uh, was there anything that you discovered uh, that maybe wasn't on the page or just you didn't even realize when you were shooting, whether it would be taking a scene out or even restructuring uh, the film itself? Uh, it was always just kind of balancing the leaps of tone and genre and finding... How, how hard we could go, you know, so some scenes were more violent and real. Uh, Cliff, especially, uh, Method Man, uh, Cliff Smith, just had such range as being, like, really scary and kind of really funny and goofy, depending on what he was doing, and, and we were always trying to find the balance there, and it's really tricky and really challenging, both in the writing, editing, but also in the shooting, rather, but ultimately in the editing, was where we really had to kind of, like, try to, try to, um, uh, really kind of control it, you know. Uh, what, what are we doing here? What are we saying? How far will an audience go? It's funny, I've had some people say, well, suddenly you have this sweet, nice, funny story, but then there's a really violent moment. And I'm like, yeah, show me a superhero story or a fairy tale that doesn't happen. So, yes, they're realistically depicted in there, but that was uh, very much on purpose. And I think um, very much within the world uh, that we're dealing with, which is New York which can be sweetly romantic and gentle and the next moment incredibly violent and unexpected. Uh, and then you wonder things different up in New York, even with all the gentrification going up as wrong. Uh, it's still a huge city with a lot of edge to it. Yeah, I think uh, what you capture in the film are the different 
sort of there are, I mean, New York is such a large place that there are so many different types of people and so many different worlds sort of colliding and you see all that right. collide, whether it be socioeconomic or, you know, racial or whatever, you just see all of that come together in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of our purpose and our fun. And, and uh, it does, you know, you're walking to work uh, as a writer one day thinking about where you might eat lunch and then the guy next to you on the subway is thinking about something very different. <laughs> and it could be much worse or better, but uh, that to me is what is exciting. It's not just culturally the diversity of New York. It's everything else that goes with it. You know, it's just like the, the way lives are led <laughs> and, and, and the decisions people make, how that all kind of collides, to use your word. I think that's very accurate. And it's really exciting and it's really tough to capture. Yeah, uh, and then I was curious as well, the uh, the preface at the beginning of the film, was that anything that you had found in your research, or was that, uh, you know, really from your imagination? No, it came very much out of the research, and out of the, out of the you know, we spent time at the Kennedy Museum and just, like, reading historically about the different kinds of organizations, and there were sort of these tradesmen organizations, so were kind of like the early unions, uh, where it was all about support and dealing and communities dealing and coming together in these kind of secret orders and meetings that occurred, you know, in the night. Um, and that to us seemed very cool. Obviously, you know, that little sequence, it feels sort of like a godcobbler sequence where we meet Max and his great, great, great grandfather for the first time. Uh, that was a little different. Uh, that was our sort of spin on it. But um, that was all based on something that we felt was very real and accurate to that period. Yeah, and I think it also sort of delves you into the sort of traditional world of a business and handing it down from one generation to another, which is something that's so rare in our culture today. Exactly, and, and like, you know, and then you meet Max, who's sort of very disillusioned with it all, and like, you know, fits and shoes is how he puts it, but back then it was a trade, it was something that was revered and, and honored, and, um, and, and I think we've lost a little bit of that, uh, sort of the respect for craftsmen. Yeah. Maybe the Definitely. Um, so lastly, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, the new film that you're working on called Spotlight, and uh, I believe that's set for a release later this year? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so what is, I believe the film is sort of about uncovering the Catholic Church scandal in Boston, is that correct? Uh, it is. Uh, it's more about the cover-up of that scandal. It's about the group of reporters at the Boston Globe who uh, reported on uh, the Catholic Church's uh, complicity and cover-up of the priest abuse scandal. Wow, and uh, I believe Michael Keaton is in that as well? Yeah, great cast. It's Keaton, uh, Mark Ruffalo, um, Rachel McAdams, uh, John Flattery, Leah Schreiber, Stanley Tucci.